When I was considering last year's election, I was very much looking at, you know what, if we want more women in Parliament, then more professional women have to put their hand up. Hi, my name is Mel Gordon, Deputy Editor at Marie Claire. Welcome to the latest episode of Finding Fearless with Marie Claire. Sally Stegall first burst into Australia's psyche back in 1998 when she became the first ever individual to medal at a Winter Olympics. Sally Stegall takes gold medal position, 132.67. No matter what the outcome of this race, Australia has its first Winter Olympic ski medal. Winning bronze in slalom skiing at Nagano. Fast forward 20 years and she came back to public life with a bang as the woman who famously toppled ex-Prime Minister Tony Abbott from the seat that he held for 25 years. As I sat here on the 2nd of July for the swearing-in of the 46th Parliament, I was struck by the absolute privilege and responsibility that falls upon us to represent and serve the people of Australia to the best of our ability. Now she's become the face for climate change in our federal parliament, trying to introduce a bipartisan climate change bill. The independent member for Warringah, Zali Stegall, is in a new race to save the planet. I gave her a call to find out where she's at. Zali Stegall, welcome to Finding Fearless with Marie Claire. Thank you. I've spoken in the intro about your checkered, marvellous, successful career, but I want to kind of get into the whole thing that after being a champion Olympic skier, you decided to study law and then go on to become a successful barrister specialising in family law. Now, law, like sport, can be a notoriously macho environment. And I was wondering if you'd ever actually experienced outwardly sexist behaviour or were you, did you actually manage to avoid all that in your corporate or sporting careers? No, look, I, I would have to say I've been exposed to it. In sport, yes, especially, you know, there was 20 years ago go uh, yeah. in those days for women's sport to get any attention you needed to uh, it was mainly individual sports people very few teams got attention yeah. uh, you needed to be prepared to be a motivational or public speaker you needed to be photogenic and be prepared to yeah. um, you know endorse products to get attention I, I certainly had to develop the skills of being a business upon myself as well as an athlete was that hard Sally? hard I think it probably came naturally to me in that I was that way inclined. Yeah. As an individual sport, I was used to having to take charge and ownership or looking for ways to win, looking for funding, you know. So if I look back on it now and I think as a 17-year-old, wow, that's, yeah. you know, that's a big job to, to see myself. <laughs> look, it was patriarchal in the sense of to get that attention from the media but in terms of the sport itself skiing actually had equal prize money for men and women so that was Fantastic. really good yeah but you know we certainly had a bit of a fight in Australia my very first Olympics was actually they they wanted to just have two men represent Australia in alpine skiing oh really and we had to fight for one spot to for me to take the second spot as a woman uh, not just for that. I was, ironically, I was better ranked than the guys. So I, <laughs> I, I had more claim to the spot. But that was a fight of changing perceptions. They, they had assumed it was going to be two guys taking the spots. Yeah. And then look at the bar. It is a patriarchal profession, even though there are more female graduates in law than men, but you very quickly, you know, from senior associates in the big law firms to associates and partners, men over overtake by, by far women on opportunity. So just on your career in law, so seeing that, it must have pissed you off. 
Yeah, look, it, it's an interesting environment. So a lot of women go into being solicitors. Uh, there are less that go on to the bar as yes. barristers. It is a more maybe competitive environment, the bar. It is yeah. very patriarchal, I would say, still. You rely on being briefed. So the problem with the bar is if all the partners of the major law firms are men and they're briefing their old buddies yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the bar, the jobs stay, you know. So the, one of the things that the, the Women Bar Association have identified is that the, the majority of the high-paying cases go to a small pool of male senior counsels. Yeah, right. They have a tendency to pick the same male juniors. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, oh, an, it's, a, it's a vicious circle. Yeah. But, look, there are some flaws that are very conscious that make an effort to have more diversity and there are definitely areas that are changing and some firms are really on the front foot of changing that culture. But, look, nothing happens quickly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and different bar councils have had different focus on trying to improve, you know, the rate of appointment to senior councils, so trying to make up sure. the gap of getting more women um, and that allows for more women to be appointed as judges. So it, it's all a, a, a ricochet effect. Yeah. So it's good to see that you went from that patriarchal career of barrister to the... <laughs> to that whole <laughs> <laughs> into politics <laughs> yes no, nothing like one environment to the next. what made you think of a career in politics had you always hungered for it uh, I wouldn't say hungered for it but I had al- certainly always considered that it was an option you know as a, as a kid I was always very competitive I'm very no. sort of, really uh, argumentative <laughs> maybe um, I was always interested in doing law even at the height of my skiing career I was very focused on having my plan B and doing my studies so that I would have a professional career. Um, I look, the bar, it, it, I really see my career now as a politician as a real extension of at the bar. At the bar, you're an advocate for your client. Mm-hmm. I feel as a member of parliament, I'm an advocate for my electorate to the Parliament of Australia. So I feel like it is a natural progression and, and completely logical next step. Yeah. You, you just have more clients. Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly, I know that you were basically disenfranchised and dissatisfied with the level of political discourse that pretty much all of us were seeing and I suppose, what was, do you think there was a particular thing that pushed you? Yeah, look, I definitely looked at, as a professional woman, I had always been a little bit really disappointed and disillusioned that we didn't have a better representation in yeah. Parliament of yeah. more women. But of course, you're not going to get better representation unless people are prepared to do the job. So yeah. it was trying to understand what was you know, what was difficult about the job for why wasn't it appealing? Is it a culture thing? Is it the way the party system maybe excludes women? Uh, and I definitely think there were issues there. And so for yeah. me, it was a growing sense of dissatisfaction. Look, I, I've made no secret. I never felt represented by our Warringah's previous member. <laughs> he did not align with my views on on a number of issues. So for me, I always felt strongly that you can't complain about a situation unless you're prepared to step up and and get in there yourself. So when I was considering last year's election, I was very much looking at, you know what, if we want more women in parliament, then more professional women have to put their hand up for it. If I'm not willing to do it, I can't expect others to do that. Look, I think, you know, from the Liberal Party, I think I do think the Liberal Party has a problem with women the whole uh, pre-selection process within the parties it's too much of an old patriarchal system of network and I think that is that precludes many women I think from getting into it so 
when I looked at last year, I really thought the time was right and I was really up for the challenge. So um, Fantastic. You know, I've never been one to shy away from a challenge. <laughs> so I was really, you know, I was ready to give it a go. I know that you um, you famously came up against some serious smut tactics during the campaign phase. These are the kind of things that, you know, women who might be considering going into politics, when they hear those kind of things, they just think, oh, you know, I don't even want to be a part of that, which is part of the problem why women don't go into it in the first place. But I, I was interested, like, I know the, the coalition drove a constant campaign that you're in bed with the left-wing activist group Get Up and they basically put out this animation, or I'm not, I'm not sure if it was them, whoever it was, put out this animation of that basically happening. What was that like for you to see it? Because I know even when you when you know smart campaigns and terrible things happen, like, but it must have been a shock to the system when it's actually targeted at you in such a personal way. Let's just clarify this. Um, your Wikipedia page has been altered and you've been described as a men's magazine model who appeared nude for a pair industry campaign and also appeared wearing lingerie in a men's magazine as a former sportswoman. It's, it's <laughs> sexist, it's inaccurate. Um, what can you do about it? Can you remember what your actual response was? Yeah, look, I, yes and no, I, I, it's all about where you set your expectations. Yeah, true, true, <laughs> but, you're right. You know, our, the previous member was known for being pretty brutal. I mean, you know, he was, uh, he, I, thought, I think he really lowered the level of debate in Australia <laughs> when he was opposition leader, um, you know, regardless of your view of the issues. So I was not expecting a high, um, you know, yeah, I, I was the bar was low. The worst. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting the worst. So Yeah, but you got it. I is, thought that you got got yeah. it, Sally. Like, that was... Well, I was expecting worse than that. Really? So actually... <laughs> My God, you know, your imagination I, was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, I had, chick- I had, you know, I had staffers in chicken suits hanging around the back of interviews. And But you've got to remember, I had the perfect preparation. I've had 13 years of international sporting field yep. where, you know, there's, well, you know, I didn't quite have those kind of things happen. But, you know, when you're in a competitive environment, there are mind games that get played. You know, That's you do true. try and psych out the opposition and you have to learn to focus on your gameplay and what you can control. And that is how you win and lose races. And I've been at high pressure situations. I've been at Olympic Games. So I did feel that I was ready for that. And the bar is quite similar you know there's a lot that goes on at the bar table in the middle of a trial and yeah, there's plenty of mind games between advocates to try and put other you know other counsel off, off yeah so yeah I'm used to that kind of side slit you know we we saw it a bit during the election campaign where you know there was a bit of sledging going on on the yes. side she's a token candidate she was a good athlete and all the rest of it but we've got to get away from all these so-called glamour candidates that people think they can line up you know I felt that I have got the experience of that both in sport and as a barrister that to be able to deal with it. And I guess, look, I don't intimidate easily. So uh, I felt quite okay with it. So, look, it was disappointing to see it descend to that level, but it was not surprising. Yeah. Have you always been thick-skinned or do you think that you develop thick skin through experience? 
Probably a bit of both. Um, look, having practised in family law, you don't see people behaving at their best in family law, True. right? Yeah. So yeah. you do learn to maybe not be surprised <laughs> at how low people will go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's probably helped me be prepared. For sure. Um, I mean, that was probably always my biggest concern was impact on my family yeah. and the kids um, and that was the biggest thing you really had to weigh up that intrusion into your life. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And has that impact been negative? No, look, um, the fam, you know, um, in terms of being more in the public eye, well, that was something I had to experience as an athlete. So, mm. I, again, I had that past experience of dealing with that level of publicity. For sure. Um, for the kids and my husband, look, I think it was something different, but my kids are now at an age where they can understand, relate. For sure. We, we shielded them as much as possible, but they understood and, and are really on board that ultimately the issues and the reasons reasons for me uh, being here are more important than anything else. I know that there's been so much bad press about what life's like in Parliament, like the misogyny and the playground antics and the bullying and obnoxious behaviour. It doesn't really sound all that great. So I'm really intrigued to know what it's like for an outsider having in your basically newly formed inside of you. What has your experience been um, of all that? Well, again, this is where I can speak highly for the experience as an independent because I don't have that. Yeah. Um, as an independent, you have the challenge of knowing who you can trust um, yeah. and you are on your own. So your team is absolutely, you know, vitally important to how effective you can be and, you, you know, you are absolutely exposed and responsible. So you have – and the work is – there's so much more work because you haven't got a party behind you. For sure. So, um, but as an independent, I'm then not exposed to that whole, you know, I think the party politics can be really toxic and that's where the bullying is Completely, and the influence yeah. and no, right. people trying to climb up that ladder and stab people in the back to get one rank yeah. higher. Yeah. So I think all those nasty things of politics I really associate as party politics, yeah, not right. Um, it doesn't automatically come with the job as being an MP. So as an independent, I don't have that so badly. And, look, on the crossbench I've got, you know, fantastic colleagues and we have uh, – we think we're the cool kids uh, <laughs> in Parliament. Yeah. Um, we, we have a lot of fun because we're – we have our own voice. Um, we can engage on the issues. We can really represent our constituents. We can get active on things. There is no one telling us what we can and can't say. Have you, so you found some work wifeys? Like you've, you know, you've got a few go-to people who you can have a chat with, yeah. seek advice, Look, yeah? The crossbench has been amazing. So Rebecca Sharkey from Mayo has been, you know, from Centre Alliance. She's been fantastic. She's mm -hmm. my neighbour down in, in Canberra. Um, Helen Haynes, who's taken over from Kathy McGowan in Indi, yep. fantastic as well. You've got Adam Band from the Greens. You've got Andrew Wilkie as an independent. You know, so every, we don't agree on the issues, but we're all extremely respectful and we agree on processes so we really all agree on the importance of uh, I mean, even Bob Catter you know who's got very different views on some issues yeah. well we are quite um, we all agree that it's you know we are 
need to respect the institution, that you need to respect the House of Representatives as a house of debate. Yeah. Um, that there, you know, it's important that there be integrity in the process. So we are all united in calling for a, a federal integrity commission. Yeah. Um, but so, which is really interesting because I know that you said in your maiden speech to Parliament that, like, you know, you pointed out the trust in Australian politicians was at its lowest in a decade. As I sat here on the 2nd of July for the swearing-in of the 46th Parliament, I was struck by the absolute privilege and responsibility that falls upon us to represent and serve the people of Australia to the best of our ability. While this may be a place of robust debate, it is time for a more respectful approach and accountability. Trust in Australian politicians is at its lowest in a decade, and we can only reach our potential as a democracy if we believe in our institutions, as in sport, there can only be respect if you're playing by the rules. We impose legal standards on business to protect customers and consumers, but we fail to protect our voters with a legal minimum standard of truth in political advertising. This needs to change. We must also safeguard the freedom of the press and our national broadcaster. Without a free press, we cannot hope to preserve the civil liberties and freedoms past generations fought so hard to protect. They're the kind of things that can counter that, yeah? That's what you're trying to do? Yeah, well, look, it's interesting. As a barrister, you're a sole trader because you're an officer of the court and you can't have a, any conflict of interest. Yeah. And I really see, as a member of parliament, you know, my duty is back to my constituents. It's back to the people that voted for me. Yeah. And so I really do have concerns of when I look at the the party system that it creates this layer of conflict of interest against your duties back to your electorate and so it's, it's really an interesting process to observe in Canberra is how backbenchers from both you know from the major parties what what their role is very different to mine because they just don't have that same public voice to represent their constituents. So it's really interesting to see. So I think a lot of the negative connotations we have of life of the politician is tied to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But look, being an independent is also tough because you've got, you know, (laughs) there's no backup plan, there's no backup machine. You you have to do it on your own. That's right. And and is that what you found has been like the most challenging part about this transition is that you're a lone wolf really (laughs) and you've just got to rely on yourself in your actual immediate team, yeah? Yeah, and, and look, it doesn't come with a manual, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's no handover. You basically, you know, you win the election, you have a few weeks while they work out the numbers and then you get handed this office with nothing in it, like it's an empty <laughs> shell and you have to build from scratch. There's no yeah. there's no handover of files, there is no knowledge of constituents, there is there's just a blank slate and you have to build from there and for you know anyone from within a party well the party has a model that they roll out in every electorate that's right it's, yeah. they all do the same thing they manage the websites it's easy as an independent you are building it from scratch so look my where I was incredibly lucky is the other um, you know independents and members of the crossbench were all really helpful in pointing out how they set up their offers yeah. what kind of staff what the expertise needed is you know how are you most effective so we are developing that um, know-how and the model of how you can do it and be effective and and I hope that can then encourage more to give it a go. Yeah and look and I'm also really interested in how when sports people move into different environments because like you're naturally very goal 
goal-driven and very schedule-oriented and all that kind of thing. And, and Canberra isn't a place where you're naturally in control of all, of all the elements and the routine is like all over the shop. How do you make goals in that environment and stick to them? Yeah, and look, it's, I sort of compare it to back in my racing days going away for or a training camp or an intensive oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. race or camp where you're going away, you can have four intense days and then you come back. Uh, but then trying to find that routine around that to still have be healthy. I mean, I you know the the hours are terrible. Yeah, how's camera. that going? I think that um, would be really no difficult. Meal times. You're constantly jumping in and out of meetings to go and vote and have divisions. But again, it's sort of maybe amidst the chaos that you have to carve out. You know, you what you need to get done each day and be. You have to be organised. I think is probably a key element to yeah. it. Um, to make sure you've still got time. You know, for me, a really important part of my mental fitness is my physical fitness. So yeah. I need to make sure I get time to run or go to the gym so that I'm, you know, keeping a balance on things. For sure. And that's probably been what I've found the hardest to juggle yeah. for the moment. Are you, are you liking it? Otherwise? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I am. <laughs> um, at time, I've, you know, at times I find it, uh, frustrating because I feel like, you know, stop playing games and get on with the job. Yeah. But that's probably the sensible, pragmatic, independent. <laughs> like, has there been moments of dissolving into tears yet? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> um, but look, I, I do feel like I'm incredibly lucky with an amazing team. So, and and you know, we've got support there. But it's yeah, look, it's exciting. It's it's incredibly uh, rewarding. Frustrating. It's also so I think with anything, and, and I'm a very result-driven person having come from sport. Sure. So it's something like this, you've got to learn to define what success looks like. It's not like in court where I would get a judgment from the judge and Correct. I either you won get a win. or lost. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very clear. Here as an advocate, you know, in parliament, it's, it's incremental, the wins. It's are you moving the dial on a discussion or on an issue or if it's a local thing, are you create, you know, have you been able to achieve an, a different outcome for a community group or so, you know, sure. it, it's learning to define success to make sure, you know, you, you're getting that satisfaction. And, and does that change as it goes along? Do you know what I mean? Like that, those kind of like goals of like they're moving? Yeah, look, well, I've, I guess I've come in with a really clear mind of what I would like to achieve and we're working as hard as we can to make that happen. Look, my experience from sport tells me, you know, not everything, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have setbacks and that's okay. You know, yeah. you, you can never, uh, to succeed, you can't be afraid to fail. So you, yep. you're going to, you know, you have to, you have to go through those things. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but, but it's fun. And on that, like, I know that you really did make climate change a key part of your campaign. I will be a climate leader for you. And I will keep the new government to account and make sure we take action on climate change. And how's that going for you, mate? Well, it's, um, it's going well. <laughs> um, we've, um, 
Uh, look, I've certainly, uh, you know, in terms of put, moving the dial and the conversation mm. and trying to take the party politics out of it and have a sensible discussion, a sensible um, approach to where the solutions are. Yeah. We, um, so my, I set about from August last year planning what did I want to, how did I want to deliver that for, for Warringah. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, I'm working on a private members bill, which I'll be introducing in March to Parliament, mm-hmm. uh, which is a climate change act, which is a framework legislation, very much a sensible approach to take the party politics out of climate policy. And this has been done in other uh, you know, countries in the world, in the UK, they did it in 2008. Um, yeah. I think it's overdue for Australia to get to it. So we are really but, but what is that? what does that actually that. mean? What does that mean? What, what do you actually mean? What it means is you're putting in place uh, a framework so that regardless of who is in government, there are long-term established systems that okay. um, kind of compel government to act. So, for example, we there is a uh, independent climate change commission appointed to advise government of the day right, yeah. on yeah. long-term policy. We set a net zero goal for 2050 with five-year budget reduction emission periods working our way to 2050. So it, it, consecutive governments, when, when whoever's in government, has to work to those five-year and sure. deliver on those five-year budgets. I'm not being prescriptive on technology, on how you do it, yeah. because parties have different approaches, but you are bound by certain principles and, and an ultimate goal. So we all know where we need to get to. It's also looking at proper risk assessment of all our sectors. You know, how is agriculture and transport uh, and industry going to be impacted by global warming and what is our adaptation plan? And so it's compelling government to have a plan and disclose the plan and report on the plan to parliament but, but and Sally, make sure how there's do you, accountability. Honestly, how do you get that over the law? <laughs> well, <laughs> technically, well, look, clearly I'm going to be using my advocacy skills. Um, I will be, you know, I am seeking Labor, the Grange and the crossbenchers support. I would like this to be bipartisan. This should be bipartisan. Do you, this is legislation under Conservative, you know, Boris Johnson government in the UK. So yeah. the coalition should be getting on board with this. This is framework legislation. There so, is talk, for example, of you having like a public campaign kind of calling for a conscience vote in Parliament. Is that what you think it's going to take? Yes, I, I, I think that is absolutely what it's going yeah, to take. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because people need to demand of their representatives that take the party politics out of it. Yeah, um, mm. Very much like the same-sex marriage vote where it wasn't about what party you're in, it was actually about represent, um, you know, uh, have a free vote, have a conscience vote. Uh, so, my, you know, my goal is that this should be bipartisan if it can't be bipartisan, then for at least the coalition to allow their MPs to have a conscience vote because that is what people in their electorates are demanding. I completely agree. Um, and I actually so, reckon that that's actually part of this whole conversation is how does anybody who isn't um, on the far right bring back a, a conversation that everyone can be involved in with, without it just going nowhere, really? Well, look, the, the, the PM often talks about the coalition as being a broad church, you know, with clearly wide ranging of views and positions on issues. Well, yeah. that's fine. But clearly by being a broad church, they are completely uh, handcuffed and they're, they're just uh, paralysed from actually taking proper policy action. So 
acknowledge that you're a broad church and open it up to a conscience vote so that everyone can be true to their electorates rather than uh, having, you know, all those that are pushing for more action basically silenced by a a few because they are prepared to uh, wreck the place and hold everyone to ransom. So open it up. This is because the... The point of the conscience vote is this is not, you know, I accept that if this was put forward by Labor or put forward by Greens, it becomes politically charged. But yeah. I'm an independent. I, this is not a win for, for uh, this is a win for the Australian people, not for any political party yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the best way I can put it. And so around that, what does uh, success look like for you in that space? Uh, well, look, clearly success is we've elevated the concern and the need to have a long-term plan around climate change that is a first level of success. You know, for me, locally, success is that Warringah is happy with the job I'm doing on their behalf Mm. um, and that they feel represented and they feel they have a voice in parliament. That's my number one priority. Mm -hmm. Success, of course, you know, Uh, the gold medal around my neck and around (laughs) the neck of all Australians is that we passed the Climate Change Act in March this year. Let's make 2020 the year we (laughs) take division out of climate climate politics. Sally, good luck. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we do wish her all the best with any attempt to move on climate change in federal parliament. Fingers crossed, Sally. And thanks for listening today. Please rate and review as we value your feedback. And don't forget to subscribe to Finding Fearless with Marie Claire so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you next time.